We are continuing on our series. We're finishing up the foundation series on 1 Corinthians. We got up to 10, um, and then we took a break. And so we did 1 Corinthians 11 last week, which was on communion, and we had a great time of testimony and just uh, lifting up our praises and our supplications to God as we came in the Lord's Supper and shared that together as a, as a body of believers. And then that leads us now to 1 Corinthians 12. And um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26... Uh, we have a text on the body of Christ, and uh, I'm going to start with that text and uh, uh, just ask that the Lord would bless the reading of his word now. First uh, Corinthians 12, 12 to 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And on our unrepresentable parts are treated with great modesty, with our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving the greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That is the reading of the Lord's word. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks this morning as we look into your word. We would pray that you would... Uh, Just open our hearts and our minds to what you would teach us about being a part of your body, the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that uh, what you have placed on my heart and what is uh, in my mind to say would come across clearly, that people would uh, perceive um, the goodness and the rightness and the correctness of the way you have uh, arranged your church and the instruction that you have given to it and the part that you want us to play in it, Father Settle that in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we get to the, as we've talked about, Find the Hope Sunday is on October 19th, and then the, right after that is we begin, uh, that's October 26th, is the next Sunday, and uh, we begin 40 Days of Community. Uh, what on earth are we here for? And the byline to 40 Days of Community, and I thought I would put this up here early, is we are better together. And, and that sort of raises a question. Do we believe that? Do you believe that we're better together? Yeah, right? We believe that we're better together. And there's a reason, and just maybe some of this is obvious, but, you know, there's a reason that we get together as a church. And there's a reason that, you know, down through the centuries uh, since uh, the time that Peter essentially said to Jesus when Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? And he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And you remember what Jesus said right after that. He said, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. So Jesus said to Peter, the apostle, he said, on this notion, on this understanding, on this revelation that was given to you by God, he said, you you didn't say that. God gave you that to say. 
I'm going to build an ecclesia. I'm going to build a congregation. There was no word for church at the time, so he said ecclesia, which was the Greek word for a gathering of, of citizens. He said, I'm going to build a, an ecclesia. I'm going to build a congregation. I'm going to build a gathering of citizens on that rock that I'm the Messiah. And then as you go through the early history of the church, you see that people continued to gather on that truth. They gathered on the truth that Jesus was the Messiah and they believed uh, what Rick Warren 2,000 years later now tags on 40 Days of Community that we're better together, that it was God's plan that he was going to put together an ecclesia, that it was God's plan that he was going to put together a congregation of people who were better together on that notion that he is the Messiah. And out of that grew this huge tradition of the church, people meeting together in houses, people meeting together on the first day of the week, people having the Lord's Supper together, people bringing money to be able to support ministry, uh, people worshiping together and bringing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, people prophesying and speaking the word of God together. All these things I'm saying should be ringing bells in your head because it's what's talked about over and over and over again in the New Testament. All these things happen as people get together. They all agreed we're better together. We're better as a congregation. We're better as a people together. We're better as an ecclesia. We're better as the church than as individuals. And so as we go into 40 days of community, I wanted to take this text, which talks about the body. What Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26, he says that the body has many members and that the body is better together. It's much better that our hands and our feet and our legs and our lungs and our heart and our kidneys are all together as opposed to spread out (laughs) around, you know, the various parts of this building. You know, if my body was spread out all over the parts of the the building here or across, you know, left some of it at home when I came and, uh, you know, left some back in Guelph when I was living there, my body wouldn't work all that great. Paul says the body works best when it's together. And so that's the main thing that I want to take out of here is this idea that the body has many members and that we're better together. That it's always been God's plan that we would be together and that we need to believe that. And what I want to do is, because this Corinthian series is called the Foundation Series, is I want to lay some foundations under that. I don't have a PowerPoint this morning because I have a big script and I'm going to go way off it Um, for the sake of time and also just uh, to get across what's on my heart in terms of us being together as the church. So here it is, what's on my heart, is that the church is God's idea. The church is the temple of God, it says in Ephesians 2, 19. It says the church is the bride of Christ, it says in Ephesians 5 and in Revelations 19. It says the church is the body of Christ in Romans 12 and here in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 5, 23 and 30. And it says the church is a holy nation of people in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. The church, the ecclesia that 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 jesus established is of surpassing value and glory to god that's a foundation statement that the church is of surpassing value and glory to god it's his intent that it would bring him glory it's his intent that the church is going to be the bride of christ at the end of time it's his intent that the church be the body of christ today talking about the church universal all those people who are built on that rock that christ is the messiah the son of god that peter proclaimed But the church is not just sort of the invisible global church of all the saints all around the world and through all time. There's that sense of the global church, but it's also the local church. 
This is what we have to get across. This is what Paul is getting across. Is that it's not just this sort of mystical gathering of saints that all believe the same thing around the world and through time. But it is impossible to honestly commit yourself in full obedience to Jesus universally, but ignore his bride as she is expressed locally. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian and I believe what Peter said and I believe in the Bible and Jesus and I'm part of the universal church and that's good enough for me. I can just ignore the local bride. I don't have to be a part of that or I don't have to join that or I don't have to commit to that. And I'm saying that it's impossible to honestly commit yourself in full obedience to Jesus and yet ignore his bride and ignore his body and ignore the importance of the local congregation of the gathering of believers, whatever congregation that is. And so for me personally, this is my take on it, that as a Christian, I want, I want to make sure for myself that I get the expression of the church, the expression of the church and my role in the church as closely in line with God's teaching through Scripture as I can. Because I believe that. I believe we're better together. And I believe God said that. And so as a Christian personally... It's my duty and obedience and my love for God to say, I want to make sure that I understand how he expresses the body of Christ through the church as accurately as possible and know as best as possible what my role is. I want to receive the greatest blessing by aligning myself rightly with the family of God that I've become a part of. Or if I was to phrase that in the context of our scripture today, if I am meant to be part of the body... If that's my purpose, is to be part of the body, as Paul talks about it here, then how am I to do that in the most obedient, fulfilling, God-glorifying way? If we're meant to be a part of this body, how do I do it right? Or if I was to phrase it another way, maybe in the negative, you could think about it this way. How serious would it be to withdraw myself or withhold myself or to reject membership in the body of Christ? How serious would that be to God? Am I at risk of dishonoring God? Am I at at risk of rejecting Christ if I hold his bride in contempt? If I withhold, if I hold out on the body of Christ that I'm meant to be a part of, is that serious? If I'm meant to be a part of this body, in what ways can I do it wrong? And so the outcome of this for me is, is, is to paint this idea of membership, of belonging to the body of Christ as something worth cherishing, something protecting, something fulfilling the obligation of, something worth finding joy in, something worth sticking through, something worth taking seriously and fighting for. The, the goal here, or what I think is here that Paul is talking about here and, and talks in all the epistles, Peter, James, all of them, Paul, they all talk about this, John does too, To esteem the membership is to esteem the people, the body, and the bride of Christ. And so when this topic of membership comes off, and I'm using 1 Corinthians 12 as a bit of a launching point to to just share my heart and I think the heart of the elders in this church and, and, and also the apostles in Christ on this topic of membership. When it comes up, people start to wrestle with membership in all sorts of different ways. They say things like the Bible doesn't talk about being on a list. It doesn't talk about signing a membership covenant. There's no evidence in the New Testament church that people were on some sort of role. There were no incorporated churches in the first century. Denominations didn't exist, and I don't want to be part of a denomination now. That's all just a man-made thing. I submit to Jesus, and that's good enough. Or, you know, house churches that are just simple gatherings of believings are far more spiritual. And people sort of come at this membership issue from a whole bunch of different places and a lot of other different ways that they look at it. And at the same time, as people are sort of coming at membership from that angle, the scriptures that we all submit to say a lot about these same issues of the church and membership. And these are all issues that surround what it means to be a part of the church, both 2,000 years ago and today. What am I talking about? What are these issues 
of membership that are core in the teaching of the New Testament that have to do with membership in the body of Christ. Here they are. Agreeing on what we believe is core to belonging to the body of Christ, universally and locally in Acts 2 and 20. Guarding the message of the gospel that has been entrusted to us and whether what is being taught and what is being preached and what is being believed is a true gospel or a false gospel. 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about the church as the pillar and the buttress of truth. That has to do with membership. How about this? How the church is a place to practice our spiritual gifts. This is the text of 1 Corinthians 12 and also Romans 12. That it has to do with the expression of the local church, the body of, and the bride of Christ locally with how we have a place to practice our spiritual gifts. Or accountability and discipline. New Testament talks a lot about that. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Timothy 5, 19 and following. Or good governance and proper order in the church. Does any of the epistles of Paul or Peter have anything to say about elders and governance and good order in the church? Yeah, they all do. Every single one of them talks about good governance and proper order in worship. Titus and Hebrews and Corinthians and Timothy and 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Or another issue that has to deal with membership, our best ability to care for one another's needs. 1 Timothy and James and Galatians 6 all talk about how the household of faith cares for one another and how people belong to that household of faith and how they're to act in that household of faith towards each other. Paul even says what widows you know, should and shouldn't be enrolled and, and who's going to get, in Acts, it talks about who's going to get served food and who's going to do the serving. These letters, these epistles, the teaching of the New Testament revolves and revolves and revolves and revolves around our behavior towards each other as members in the body of Christ. And when you start to look at the letters that are written and you start to look at the prescription that is given for the church and the teaching and the admonishing and the gifts that are given, they're all given for the church. They're all dealt with as central to the health and well-being of the local church. And so we can't talk about membership scripturally without seeing that scripture deals a lot with that question that I ask myself. How am I supposed to engage properly with the local body of believers? How am I supposed to relate properly to the body of Christ in my local congregation? And if I withhold from that or I look at that wrong Does that affect my relationship with God at all? Does that affect my spiritual well-being? Does that affect how I'm expressing my love for Christ as I relate to the church? Because it's easy to think that this sort of local church thing is all just about people meeting together and membership meetings and AGMs and, you know, stuff like that. And it's not really important. It's not really spiritual. But I hope what, you know, sort of going through that list there, I'm, I'm sort of trying to paint a picture that letter after letter, epistle after epistle, teaching after teaching has framed everything that we do together within the context of membership, within the context of our relationship to one another within the body of Christ. And so we're left asking that question, how then do we value and view the church and our membership in the church? Where does it fit into scripture? Where does it fit into obedience? Where does it fit out, fit, fit into living out our relationship with God? And so first of all, I just want to very quickly point out that the global church is expressed locally. One of the main verses that you can keep in mind today, if you wanted to make a note, is Acts 2, 41 to 42. In Acts chapter 2, this is, this is the beginning. Peter preaches that sermon and Jerusalem and people are convicted and it goes from being 120 people to thousands of people in a day. This is the church right here. Boom, kickstart. 
He says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. There was a church in Jerusalem and numbers were added to it. And they even had a rough count of how many of them there were. What were they added to? They were added to the local church in Jerusalem. And then we see this local expression over and over and over again when Paul talks about the church. In Acts 13, it says, And now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, etc. And then in Acts 18, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And then in 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, when the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? We're going to get to that in a couple weeks. But yes, we are out of our minds sometimes. But but you can see the phrasing that Paul uses there, when the whole church comes together and then outsiders enter. Well, who's the whole church? And how can you have outsiders if there aren't insiders? There's an identification there. 1 Corinthians 13, the churches of Asia send you greetings. What church? The church of the whole world? No, the churches that are in Asia the local churches, Second Corinthians, Paul, an apostle of Christ, to the church of God that is in Corinth, specifically to the church there in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. And in Philippians, he says, no church entered into partnership with me. And then in Revelations 2, 11, when Jesus is speaking and he talks about the churches that are in Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, he's talking about specific churches. I just say all of that quickly to say there is a local expression of the body of Christ. That yes, there is the church universal, there is the church that we all belong to as believers and that we share in that church with our brothers and sisters in the Anglican church and our brothers and sisters at Northland Faith and our brothers and sisters at uh, West Guilford and our brothers and sisters in Eagle Lake and our brothers and sisters in Korea and our brothers and sisters in China. We're all part of the universal church. But nowhere at all will you show me in Scripture where we are not to express the global universal body of Christ locally. And all of the instructions and all of the ways that Paul speaks and Peter speaks and James speaks and John speaks, they all speak in terms of the local body of Christ. That this is the church in quotes. You know, that scary phrase, the church. This is the church. It's the brothers and sisters that gather here locally. It's the universal church of all saints globally expressing itself as congregations of saints locally. Meeting together, serving together, caring for each other. But you say, but why do we have membership, Paul? I'm still stuck on that. What is the evidence for membership? How do we know who belongs and who doesn't for signing a document or shaking a hand or being on a roll somewhere? And so I just want to quickly look at some of the evidence for members. And I don't do this just to belabor a point, but but I think it's important. And I think we've gotten sloppy in the church today to treat membership lightly and not really understand what it means to be a member and not be a member. First of all, our text today, the metaphor, that's where we'll start. The metaphor of our text today, that the body is made up of many parts, but it's one whole. All these pictures of the church in the scriptures are of parts making up a whole, except maybe for the bride. That's the only part, the only one. All the other pictures of the church, if you go through the scriptures, you will find the church is called a household. It's called a temple. It's called a family. It's called a body. It's called a flock. One brick does not make a temple. One person does not make a family. One limb does not make a body. One sheep does not make a flock. All the pictures of the church are of the body together. And so when we talk about our arm or our leg, we say our arm or our leg is a member of our body. If we talk about our son or a daughter or an aunt or an uncle, what do we call them? We call them a member of our family, 
right? That's the word member there. That's the word that Paul uses here, that these are members of our body, members of our family. And so the first evidence of membership is that Paul is painting a picture for us of finding the place where we fit in. And in the text today, if you go back and look at it, Paul is talking specifically in this case about some members who uh, are body parts who are more presentable than others, or some members or body parts that are more honorable than others, or some members or body parts that are more significant than others would be another way of phrasing it. And so the problem that Paul is dealing with specifically in the Corinthian church, and I want to touch on quickly today, is that the members were struggling with that some of the members of the body felt like, well, my gifts don't really matter. I'm not really all that important in the church. Or there is other people in the church who are saying, I'm really important because I've got this really amazing gift and everybody knows who I am and I use this gift to great benefit to everybody and so I'm awesome, right? I'm like a, a bicep or, you know, a left leg. I, I, you know, I'm helping this church run. And other people are like, oh, I don't really do all that much. I'm just an appendix, you know. I don't even know what I'm there for anymore. You know, you could take me out and it wouldn't really make a difference. And I'm glad I'm inside because I'm really ugly and you don't see me. But, that, but, that's, but that's exactly what Paul is talking about. And you can argue whether he's being funny or not or trying to be funny or whether he is funny. But he talks about, but can you imagine if, a, if there was no body, there's just a giant eye, right? All you people out there, you're all just giant eyeballs looking at me, Right? <laughs> Some of you are kind of bloodshot, sleepy looking, but just a seat after seat of eyeballs or just ears or just noses. I, I mean, I don't know. It is funny. I don't know if Paul was trying to be funny, but it's funny when you think about what he's saying, right? And he's saying it's ridiculous, right? You can't be a body and just be one part. And in fact, the parts that are most important may be the least presentable. Yeah, biceps are impressive, right? You know, you go see Expendables 3 or something and all those old guys still trying to flex up. <laughs> and they're trying to look really impressive on the outside, right? Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Biceps and thighs and six-packs and chests, those are really impressive things. But you know what? If they didn't have their lungs, where would they be, right? Lungs don't seem all that impressive, but you need your lungs, right? And so Paul is making that exact terminology here he's making that exact metaphor he's saying even the least presentable parts have even more honor they're even more valuable than the presentable parts yeah someone may have a beautiful voice they may be able to sing or they may be able to preach like me and paul says they're dispensable it's the people that are seemingly less dispensable who are more important to the body And so this is part of our belonging and part of what Paul is saying about membership, that it is important that we belong. And here's the sad thing, is that we as a church sometimes make people feel that way. And if we've done that, that's wrong, Paul is saying. If we've made people feel that their gift isn't that important or there isn't a place for them to fit into the body, that we don't need a foot or we don't need a toe or we don't need an eye tooth, if we've made people feel like they are dispensable and we don't need them, that is a problem with us as a body of Christ that we've done wrong by that. Or if we have elevated certain gifts higher than they should be elevated, that's a problem. But the point here is that there is membership in the body and that everybody has a place to fit and to serve and use their gifts. Secondly, membership is implied by devotion to a common cause. You remember that main verse I gave you from Acts 2, 41 to 42. It says, So those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day 3,000 souls and they devoted or they held steadfastly in their care 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, literally doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Why do you think churches have statements of faith? Why do you think that's important? Why do you think for 2,000 years, well, it started with the didache, which was the doctrine of the apostles. And then you had all these statements of faith down through the ages. Why do you think churches have statements of faith? Because of that. Because the scripture tells us that as you gather together and you're added to the number of believers, you hold steadfastly to the teachings and to the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what identifies you as a member because you believe that and you don't believe something else. And so we have statements of faith. And so then over time you started, used to be you just could say it or recite it because people had good memories maybe, but then we started writing them down. And so then you had this document that was a statement of faith that said really clearly, these are the principles, these are the doctrines, these are the truths of God that we will fight for and we will die for. Down through the history, people died not for those pieces of paper, but for the doctrines and the teachings and the truth that were held in those pieces of paper. And so you see in history, you see the devotion to the doctrine and the teaching of the apostles and then to fellowship, to people gathering together in fellowship and breaking in bread and prayers. And even that implies membership. If I'm devoted to fellowship with the body of believers and I pick up the phone, who do I call? I don't know. At at some point, I got to identify who's the body of believers I'm calling. I call Rick and Jane. I, I call Mark or I call Steve or... You know, I call Rick because I know they're members in the body. I can identify them as members and they identify themselves as members because we champion the same cause. We believe in the same teaching. We have the same gospel and we're fellowshipping together. And so membership is, it's impossible to do these things without membership, without knowing who the members are. How do you commit to doctrine without agreement? How do you arrive at agreement of what the doctrine is and the teaching of the church is unless you all agree to it? Thirdly, you need membership to resolve disputes. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about the ecclesia. And he says in Matthew 18, this is Jesus himself laying out the authority of the church. And as Jesus lays out top-level authority in the church, he says that the ecclesia, the congregation, is the final court of appeals for who belongs and who doesn't belong as a member in that body. He says, if your brother sins against you and you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others among with you and every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Well, who's the church? You got to know. Otherwise, who are you telling it to? So you have to have membership. There has to be a local expression of the church. There has to be a body of believers that you can tell it to. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so if there's no church membership, then who decides who this people are to go to? And who decides what they're a part of and what they're not? There, there has to be a local body to be a part of or to be not a part of. And you have to be able to identify who would be sitting in that meeting to decide whether... This person has sinned or, or to hear his complaint. So you see that even though the word membership is never actually said in Scripture, it's there. It's there in everything that's taught. It has to be there or the things that are being taught make no sense. And a little teaching on this point. It's a very important point of, a th- point of authority contained in these verses as well. And, and it may come up later on. But keep this in mind. That the congregation, as Jesus says here, Jesus says the congregation is the final authority in disputes and membership. But, this is the important part, the congregation is not the first authority. And a lot of churches have gotten this wrong. A smaller group of brothers and sisters 
And later on, Paul sort of establishes that it's the, el- the elders that you would see would be those people. There's a smaller group of Christians are the first authority and that are chosen by the membership as the first authority for governance. But that first authority doesn't resolve the issue. Then the membership is there as a final authority in governing. And so when you look at the body of Christ and how we are to be in submission to each other and ruling over each other and governing each other, the point to take away from Matthew 18 is, first of all, there has to be a body so that we can all agree that we are being governed and we are submitting to one another. But secondly, that that body is the final authority in these matters, but not the first authority. The first authority are another group of people before the members. And so understanding the difference between first and final authority is sort of a parenthetical piece of teaching you can take out of that, put that on a shelf. We'll come back to it another time, I'm sure. Fourthly, we know that membership is important because excommunication exists, just what we said. And we talked about this in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says to the man who is sleeping with his stepmother, (laughs) put him out of the church. Well, how can you put him out of something if he's not in something? He must have been in something to be able to be put out of it. And so membership is important. Otherwise, all this teaching doesn't make any sense if you don't have members. Fifthly, Christians are governed and cared for by their leaders. In Acts 20 and 28, Paul says as he's leaving the elders in uh, Asia, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. Paul is saying, care for the flock who you have been made overseers of. Care for the church of God who you have been made overseers. Care for the church of God which was obtained with his blood. So there are overseers over a church. And in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as for those who have to give an account. Or in 1 Thessalonians, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly and love them because of their work. Or in 1 Peter 5, 2-3, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And in Acts 20, 30 to 31, just another one from Paul, and he says, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, speaking to the elders, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. All of that, I'm just saying, is that there are, there are overseers. There are people who Paul has put in place. There are elders who are put in place by the congregation to be overseers over the congregation and to shepherd the flock. So if you look at it from these instructions and you look from the side of the overseer, who are, we, who are we shepherding? Who's in the flock and who isn't? Am I responsible for Rick? Or is some other overseer responsible for Rick? It depends. What body of Christ is he a member of? Don't know. He's part of the universal body. I know he's a believer. But, but who's he accountable to? I don't know. You know, Barry. Who's he accountable to other than Heather? I don't know. <laughs> depends where his membership is. Right? So you think all this membership stuff, it's all just paperwork. It's all just, you know, stuff. It's not important. I'm trying to get across to you. It's important. None of these commands make any sense unless there's a way to recognize who's part of our body and who isn't. Who's part of the bride of Christ? Who's part of the body? Who's part of the temple? Who's part of the household? Who's part of the family? We have to know or else we can't honor any of these commands. We can't, we can't do justice to obey them. They become impossible without some identification. 
Finally, we need to care for each other. Galatians 6, 2 and many others in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it talks about in Galatians 6 how we're to bear one another's burden. And then in, in Galatians 6, 10, it talks about how we are to do care for one another and do good for the house, especially those who are of the household of faith. We are especially supposed to care for each other. So who do I care for if I don't know who they are? We're especially supposed to take care of our own brothers and sisters. Or in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says that Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ, of the church. All of these gifts, all of these abilities are poured out for the building up of the body. If we are going to care for one another, we have to know who one another is. So we have to be members in a body. And so these are just some of the key areas where evidence for membership, I think, is pretty clear. And I could go through and and I could hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses to show just how impossible it is to talk about the body of Christ without also talking about membership. You can't talk about church without talking about members. In the same way, you can't talk about God without talking about the Trinity. Even though the word Trinity never shows up in the Bible. You can't point to the Bible and say, there, there's where it says there's a Trinity. But you can't talk about God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit without talking about Trinity. You no more can talk about the body of Christ without talking about the members. You have to talk about arms and feet. You have to talk about brothers and sisters in order to talk reasonably about the body of Christ. And so what we have here is we have Jesus establishing a congregation in the knowledge of him, the universal church. And that church grows and spreads out, and it's dedicated to hold steadfastly to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And so that's the first thing, is to guard that teaching and that doctrine, and agree and be unified on that teaching and that doctrine. And so we know that we are defending the same gospel and the same faith, and we have the same expected behaviors of teaching and baptizing and joining in communion and caring for each other and serving with spiritual gifts and supporting the ministry and all these other instructions are all given with the understanding that we're all in agreement that this is how we're going to live together, that this is how the church is going to express itself. And so when we get to today and we get, like today I mean like we get to the 21st century and we see the church and we have things like statements of faith and we have things like membership covenants and we have things like bylaws, all of those things, this is where my heart's at, All of those things, even though in the past we've probably got it wrong and we might still be getting some of it wrong today, all of those things are simply our attempts to follow in obedience what has been laid out for us in Scripture. Statements of faith are just ways for us to say we are all adhering faithfully to the apostles' teaching. Membership covenants and membership affirmations are all just ways to say we agree that we're going to care for each other. We agree that we're going to forgive each other. We agree that we're going to be characterized by the bride of Christ and we're going to, take, we're going to be as pure and as righteous and as holy and as united a bride of Christ as we can be as the scripture tells us. You know, we have bylaws simply because we agree that we're going to be good legal citizens and we're going to have workers' compensation and we're going to operate, you know, children's ministries legally and, you know, we're going to abide by the laws of our country. All these things that go into the making up of the church are not just there for some, you know, unreasonable reason. They're not just there for fluff. They're not just there to make things difficult. They're not just there for power issues or authority issues. They're there because the Scripture tells us over and over and over again You have to be a body together. And to be a body together, you have to have members. And to have members, you have to have overseers and good governance and good care for each other and receiving of gifts and using your spiritual gifts and ministering to one another. And all of those things happen within the body of the local church. We're better together than apart. So when you think about, you know, women of the word, women of the word is great, but it's not church. You know, your campus ministry 
is not church. It's a great thing, but it's not church. Your men's group that you might go to on a Wednesday night and watch a video, that's not church. It doesn't have all these things that are, we are instructed to care for each other in the body of Christ. You know, listening to uh, a podcast at home and saying, you know, I'm listening to Charles Stanley. That's my church. That's not church. That's good instruction. That's good supplement to the church, but it's not the church. The heart of Jesus, when he said to Peter that on that rock, on that reality of him as the Messiah, he's going to build his church. The picture that Jesus had was people coming from all different backgrounds, all different nations, all different families, joining together to be a holy nation. That's 1 Peter 2. He says, you're a holy nation. You are a people. You who were not a people are now a people, my people. You who didn't have mercy now have mercy. The body of Christ has mercy because we're brought together as a people and we're better together. All of that to say is just to express what's on my heart is that I love the church. The church is as flawed as I am and I am going to love the church with all its flaws just as the church loves me with all of mine because I know that by honoring the bride of Christ and loving his church and his body, I'm being obedient to the instructions of that Jesus gave through the apostles. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for your word on the body and on the flock and on the household and the family. And Father, thank you that you've painted the picture through Paul in such stark ways with these giant eyes and giant ears and giant noses just sitting there as bodies. And it's ridiculous. It's, Father, it's actually embarrassing that Paul has to speak that way to us for us to get it. <laughs> that he has to make such ridiculous statements in order for us to realize that the body of Christ is not optional. Church membership is not optional. Participating fully in the family of God is not optional. It's impossible to obey your commands except in your body. This was your plan. You love your church. It's a good idea. And shame on us if we get it wrong. And shame on us if we treat each other poorly within it. So, Father, help us to be a pure bride. Help us to be a healthy body. Help us to be a functional family and esteem each other rightly, care for one another, and be better together than apart. Amen.